Jason Beck is the winner, winner, chicken dinner. What's that? Well, um, talk to the organ right now. Oh yeah, Susan, it's show number 269. Uh-huh, I knew you were going to love that. Who's Rico? Must have been partying last there night. There he is. You partied too hard last night, Rico? God, you go sick it. Oh no. Always no blame it on the kids. You have no sleep. Got a little bit. Because, uh, not. Just in time for picture day. Nice. Did you see that media link for the Summit of the Americas, Rico? They finally announced the venue, and we were right. It's at the convention center. We're a block and a half away. Oh, shit. Did you tell me, Jason, you were saying it was going to be in Beverly Hills. I told you. No. No. That, that yeah. is. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> wow. Sounds like you were left than right. Ha-ha. Just remember, Susan, every time I'm right, an angel gets his wings. Well, you weren't right on this one, so. I was so right. Saying, we put him. That, that angel, you're denying an angel of its wings? Sorry, wait, we have to go. You are tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where industry leaders, regulators, and lovers of cannabis gather collectively to move policy forward in an inclusive and sustainable way. Professionals and Canacurious alike can tune in to hear leading cannabis experts share and discuss headlines, critical industry issues, social topics, and more. The State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. Hi, and welcome to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where we bring you all the top stories you need to know and talk about them for four minutes and 20 seconds. We are a group of experts in different cannabis spaces <clears throat> with a wide diversity of perspectives and life experiences. Our news is bite-sized and infused with a nice mix of facts, opinions, and a pinch of humor. It's Friday, April 29th, 2022. This is episode number 269. I'm Susan Sores, the founder of the State of Cannabis News Hour, author of the children's book, What's Growing in Grandma's Garden, and Cannabis's Favorite Grandma, aka Nanogram. If you're listening to the podcast, the show is live every weekday at 9 a.m. Pacific time on Clubhouse. Spark it up with us and over 30,000 State of Cannabis if you want to be an audience participant. Otherwise, please subscribe to support our show. We'd love to hear from you, so please leave us a review. Today we're talking about Cannabis for Black Lives. 
a bud tender's insight on why we need safe banking, New Hampshire is a no-go on legalization, a top Schumer or later aide talks next steps, major brands want Congress to stop the copycats, the Kansas Kansas Attorney General blamed for a raid on 420 and many other frosty nuggets. So stay tuned for the full 60 minutes of the State of Cannabis News Hour. Oh, I did it again. The following program contains coarse language and nudity. Viewer discretion is advised. I need a bigger screen. Audience, feel free to raise your hands if you want to weigh in on a headline after it's been read, and we'll try to bring you up to the stage. Keep it brief and relevant, or you might get the gong. Kicking off the show today is Rico Lamite. He likes to ask the tough questions that the mainstream media refuses to ask. The self-proclaimed dopest dad alive is here to encourage other dope dads. Find him on TEDx or at one of his Cannavision events, but always find him here every weekday as co-producer of the State of Cannabis News Hour. What's your headline today, Rico? So mine's coming out of leafly.com. Um, How to Join Cannabis for Black Lives and Support Black-Led Cannabis Businesses by Dante Jordan. So in the wake of George Floyd's public lynching by current federal inmate and former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin, the U.S. found itself in a moment of cultural reckoning. American companies, small and large, rushed to social media for creative ways to display performative justice. And we all knew the majority of this was opportunistic bullshit. But as a black person in America, I think we can all agree it did feel good for those few weeks having everyone from your local plumber to Nike or Johnson and Johnson saying that they cared um, and posting in public spaces, they actually do support um, what we're going through. The series of unfortunate events sparked a much needed and semi-therapeutic cultural self-reflection for the nation, um, a necessary maintenance task. We Americans never really slow down to tackle, even though we really should. Lots of black people ended up reevaluating companies they supported, jobs they worked at, personal company that was kept and uh, was racked up emotional and was the racked up emotional damage actually worth years of us ignoring microaggressions or pseudo-racist and sensitive, insensitive remarks? I've been racially discriminated against with varying degrees of vitriol. Almost every job I've held as an adult and every project I've been involved in as well. And I'd argue it's even worse in the legal cannabis space, at least over the last six years that I've been active. Finding out a white business partner had a not-so-secret recent past involving frat house blackface costume parties was the reason I decided to move on from my popular Gather event series in L.A., and I recall many fellow BIPOC uh, operators taking similar actions. We did what we were told uh, would earn us an equitable position in an economy that never had our best interests in mind. Floyd's murder was our collective breaking point. This is around the same time that Cannabis for Black Lives was created and their nonprofit organization pressuring venture-backed cash-rich cannabis companies to actually back their performative acts with their bank accounts. And I'm all for it. Per the article, Cannabis for Black Lives recognizes social equity won't be what it needs to be unless the majority of businesses in cannabis speak up in support of fixing how trash the U.S. government's war on drugs is, and more importantly, put some of their dollars in real public action behind the support. And plenty companies actually do care about making that change. However, the analysis paralysis of, but I don't know how, plagues them all. Cannabis for Black Lives formed a collective of people and companies evaluated on a monthly basis aiming to fix that. Founded in June 2020, 
by Mary Pryor of Canaclusive with the help of Bianca Monica of Limon Creative, uh, the collective tracks and grades corporations across all industries claiming they'd be uh, they'd make internal changes and empower people of color inside and out of their companies, including hiring, better pay, philanthropy, and creating a fair playing field full of deserved opportunities. Uh, much of the performative justice, um, like the infamous Black IG squares, amounted to nothing, so Cannabis for Black Lives took action. What many of us realize um, is there were so many organizations that pledged that they would uh, make huge changes within the organization, that they would do more for the people that were impacted by the war on drugs. But what happened? It fell flat, says Cassia Graham, director of community and strategy um, during a Zoom with uh, some of CFBL's uh, leadership team. Cannabis for Black Lives is that check needed to help gather cannabis brands, source communal funds and create systems partnering with and providing financial support to different organizations in the social equity space. In the article, Leafly's Dante Jordan spells out the simple process of becoming a member and joining the fight um, by contributing reasonable, consistent donations, attending mandatory monthly virtual meetings, and or committing to the three pillars of support for the Cannabis for Black partner organizations. Number one, amplification of partner organizations via digital channels. Um, number two, financial support of partner organizations. And it's very um, reasonable too. Now, if you if you make less than a million uh, in annual revenue, they're asking for two hundred fifty dollars up to two and a half thousand dollars in support of black companies. So it's something that everybody pretty much everybody can do. Everybody can support if you actually say that you're going to support black companies. Um, and the scale is actually on their website too. uplifting black people. And the third one is out uplifting black people in cannabis through company hiring, company culture and mentorship. Uh, so when Mary Pryor let me know um, two years ago what they were building, it was a no brainer. Uh, to offer my support in any way that I could. And uh, the way that I could do it was amplification. Uh, nearly two years later, the struggle continues and the mission remains. So you can actually hit the uh, link and go to their website if you'd like to uh, support what they're doing. And I think it, I think it is, it's much needed. Um, when I stepped down from Canada Gather, the, the one thing that I told everybody how they could help, all the people, all the white friends that I have, when they reached out, like, oh, how can I help? Um, I didn't know those things were this bad. I let them know there's two things you can help with. Um, the money or the microphone offer platforms so we can amplify our messaging or offer the money we don't really need apologies it is what it is what happened in the past happened in the past um tomorrow's not promised but today's the time that we can make a change and um this organization is doing just that this is rico lamit dopest dad on the street reporting for state of cannabis news hour i'd like to hear what the rest of the team has to say about this i think we should offer a free sponsorship um at our next event I think that's good. It's uh, a good recommendation. I could reach out to Mary. I actually did reach out to her this morning. They're in meetings. I wanted her to come on stage with us uh, today. But um, yeah, they're doing a lot of good work. They have a lot of uh, power behind what they're doing. They've teamed up with some of the biggest um, organizations in cannabis. I know Weed Maps got on board with them, as well as Can. I uh, just name a couple of uh, the, the the larger companies that people might hear um, of. But um, it's we don't need apologies. We don't need a bunch of lip service. Um, if you do believe the words that you're saying, put your money behind it. Help us out. That's it. Are, 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 are they are they formulating any type of adver, 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 uh, advertisements or like public service announcements to help uh, gain more, uh, more more consensus for, for the plight? Um, they have been over the last couple of years. Uh, I know there was a huge push at the end of 2020 and early 2021. Uh, where Mary and her Canaclusive team were actually reaching out directly to a lot of these uh, these companies who were, um, and it's not just in cannabis either, just so you know, um, 
a lot of these companies that were saying certain things publicly and then putting up those bullshit black IG squares saying, oh, yeah, we stand with the black people. And uh, they're actually getting real time money pledges. They raised one hundred and seventy thousand dollars within the first uh, eight months of operating. That's great. I think this was a great story, Rico. Thank you. Because I think like a lot of people really don't know exactly what to do. Like they want to help and they want to be tuned in. I'd like to say that the large portion of consumers want to be more conscious with cannabis, but it's just like, you really don't know what to do. So this is like really helpful with actually providing real direction and invite in like info, getting beyond that pseudo whitewashing. <laughs> right. And, and real, real quick here, actually, um, Mary just text messaged me. They're in a meeting right now, but she just text messaged me. She said, um, if we can use this quote, this work takes a lot of work, um, talking to brands out about the power of equity is more than just a check. It's about extending and creating relationships beyond social actions and addressing the harm of the war on drugs. We do not expect the industry or the world to solve this problem in our lifetimes. However, the cost of good business, social impact, and directed, uh, directed intentions on making inclusive access a reality benefits the bottom line too. Do, I, do we know if they the funds that they are collecting, do they get um, donated to any of these black owned businesses or provided as a subsidy to these black owned businesses? Yes, they do. And I wanted Mary to come on uh, to break down that. I'll, I'll probably do a follow up to this one to have a direct um, breakdown of where those funds are going. Uh, but their um, their entire staff is volunteer. So I could uh, imagine a portion of that goes to, unless Canaclusive covers the, the bill for it, but uh, I would imagine a portion of it goes to uh, marketing, what they're doing, uh, where the majority goes directly to the businesses. I am going to roll the dice here. I let John from the audience up. He's got zero followers, but we're going to give him a chance. John, did you want to weigh in on Rico's headline today? You're on mute. You need to unmute your mic if you want to talk. Love you, John. <laughs> I mean, I think we all saw that coming, right? A mile away. <laughs> oh, man. Should we keep smoking the news? Tis Friday. Rico, did you want to know? We got Jason. Yeah, we can keep smoking the news. Jason, up next. Yep. Oh, I gotta, I gotta introduce him. Coming <laughs> 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 up next, the mid coat wearing, private jet hopping, Emerald Cup judging, industry's longest continuously running retailer, who just so happens to be my. Um, the ebony to my ivory. <laughs> Jason Beck, what you got for us this beautiful Friday morning, my man? Oh, yeah. And just so you guys know, there's my story comes with trigger warnings for any of you softies out there because this shit is real fucking life. How butt tending almost got me killed and why we need to pass the damn Safe Banking Act right now. That's right. Pass Safe Banking. I remember the sound of his pistol sliding along the floor and thinking, am I dying today? Managing the dispensary, I've dealt with machete welding cokeheads, which I actually think are probably fucking cranksters. Had an SUV, ran into the storefront at 2 a.m. so some ski masks could rob the joint. Dealt with a diva repeatedly spitting on customers and staff during the height of the pandemic. And this freshly 21 tracksuit 
with butterfingers and a loaded handgun is how I die? Since you're reading this, you obviously know, no, it wasn't. And for that, I now can, I'm considered lucky. A dispensary has been robbed in Washington State nearly every day since the beginning of 2022. At least three Washington, Washingtonians died during these robberies in the, in the month of March alone. It doesn't have to be this way. If cannabis businesses had access to federally safe banking, they wouldn't have so much cash on hand and wouldn't be such a large target for armed robbery with a side of murder. On March 29th, the Washington State Liquor and Cannabis Control Board, WSLCB, held a cannabis retail safety forum where their chair, David Postman, opened the event by saying, we're going to talk about what really is a massive public safety crisis that's roaring through the state. And I think everybody on this meeting knows that that crisis has left, has what it has left in its wake and tragic deaths and business owners and their employees are fearful that they could be next. There's nothing quite like walking alone carrying a duffel bag with $250,000 in cash to deposit into your boss's personal bank account. This became even more dangerous after the state defunded the police Crime spiked and armed guards priced out at over $70 plus per hour. Bringing in a card, a card payment processor sounds like the simplest solution, unless you're also trying to turn a profit. Cannabis businesses are forced to pay 3 to $5 per transaction because of the lack of federal banking protection. Even some of the most profitable dispensaries can't even justify those types of expenses. In Washington State, dispensaries pay $47.10 in taxes for every $100 they make in sales. Yet despite having nearly 50% ownership of the stolen funds, the state and federal government have yet to implement measures that truly aid their dispensary business owners. Why? Your guess is as good as mine. The Safe Banking Act, which simply prohibits penalizing a bank for providing banking services to a legitimate cannabis business, has passed in the House six times and has been rejected by the Senate each one of those times. In early March, State Treasurer Mark Pellicchioti met in D.C. with fellow state treasurers and received reassurances that state treasurers around the country are getting behind this issue and recognizing how important it is. Uh, on the flip side, Senator Kaiser is skeptical that Congress will pass any form of Safe Banking Act in 2022. She believes the Sunshine Protection Act could be the only bill the Senate fat cats can agree on this year. Michael Correa, the director of government relations for the NCIA, National Cannabis Industry Association, asserted the absence of safe banking legislation isn't the result of political party contention, but from industry advocates seeking too much comprehensive reform at once. The director of Dockside Cannabis, Aaron Varney, rebuttaled with a suggestion for incremental legislation changes. Provided tax credits for armed guards and other safety measures dispensaries are forced to take to protect all their, their all-cash businesses, thereby lowering their costs for operating safely. Now, that's just a Band-Aid, and that's not going to work. Without legislative changes to federal banking regulators, cannabis companies across the U.S. will be targeted for armed robbery, and bud tenders and law enforcement will continue to be at risk for murder. Meanwhile, as the industry waits for the world to catch up, dispensary managers are trying to figure out how to protect their employees and customers from the constant threats, especially when we have these lame-ass fucking DAs that don't prosecute any fucking crime. Gypsy Greens was robbed at gunpoint in February. Jenna described the experience saying it went pretty routinely. It's hard to even say that an armed robbery is routine at this point. Their robbery lasted four minutes and no one was injured. We also reached out to Chris Eggers of the show, the owner of Cannabis Compliance Security Solutions and former San Francisco police officer to get advice he's sharing with California dispensary owners also suffering 
regular armed robberies. Chris had great pearls of wisdom. Chris states, training and educating your staff on how to call emergency services is critical. Many dispatch centers have a seven digit number. <coughs> Excuse me, you can program into your cell. That's the equivalent of calling 911 from a landline. In California, if you call 911 from your cell, it likely will go to the Highway Patrol dispatch rather than the municipality for which you are in, which can cause unnecessary delays and is easy preventable. Panic buttons and, and are another strategy for getting law enforcement to arrive quickly, especially for dispensaries that can't afford added expense of armed guards, or if you're in a city like in, in uh, Oakland where the police just don't come. Panic button, um, then we go to Green Theory in Bellevue, Washington, uh, went as far as partnering with the police by planning a tracking device. I'm actually in favor of this, planning a tracking device with the funds stolen at an armed robbery in March, which led to the capture and sentencing. Dispensaries can also improve their survival rates by putting aside competition and working together, Chris Eggers explained. Not only can you share information and keep each other informed about recent events and trends, law enforcement agencies and municipalities often are quicker to respond to organized groups who are vocal about their community's needs. Now, I want to, uh, I believe everything that Chris said definitely helps to make the, the situation safer, but you know the one thing that'll make the situation safer is if Congress will get off their ass and pass safe banking. And this is Jason Beck reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. Um, pardon me, Michael Correa, the Director of Government Relations for NCIA. He's blaming the industry because we want too much 100%, comprehensive. Fuck that. Fuck that. Fuck that. Fuck that. Jason, I mean, come on. What is Congress? What do we want Congress to do? Fuck up a little you're bit at a time? Well, you're not going to get a big baby steps re reform. It's just not going to happen. It's not realistic, Susan. Bullshit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> so let's just not try. Let's just do little baby steps. I mean, I mean, let's I mean, major a little bit at a time. Has gone so far, hasn't it? Come on. But blaming all this, blaming all this shit on safe banking not passing is 100% utter bullshit. So um, I do empathize with the with the people who are struggling with the, with this stuff, but you know, there's plenty of cash heavy businesses in these communities where that violence is just going to shift over to them, um, and you're not fixing the problem at hand. You're not fixing the source of the problem. Um, the source of uh, of these issues, if it is actually addressed, you're going to see a downtick in crime, but that's not the case. So you're going to have plenty of people still getting murdered, still getting robbed if safe banking is passed, and it's not really going to help the people at the bottom that need the most. Yeah, it's oh. going to remove a lot of targets around these cannabis businesses where, where criminals are imagining plethoras of cash just fucking just all over the place. And that's what these people are envisioning when they're going into these types of businesses to commit these types of crimes. Are you in their minds? Uh, are you in there? Are you in, are you behind their eyes? Yeah, I'm in their minds. Yeah, I'm in their minds, bro. I think we need to make the cost of the security detail tax deductible because then these dispensaries could afford very serious security that might be seen as a deterrent to these people coming in and trying to steal their cash. I'd also love to see legislation that allows dispensaries to withhold payment of their taxes up to the amount of the funds that were stolen. Because if we had that type of legislation, I believe that the states and the government would just be much more likely to come to their aid because they want that tax money. I'm all with withholding taxes, Brandon. If we can make that happen, I'm totally behind some stuff like that. 
I love your idea, Brandon. Also take care of that 280E, get that out of there. And Susan, to your point, I think, you know, it's hard with that. Look at Prop 64. It's like, is these small, in, are these small incremental changes like actually getting us farther where we want or farther down the wrong path? Yeah. Liz, you're not going to get rid of 280E unless you have some type of tax that goes in its place because it'll never pass a CBO score in order to, to move further. Also, I don't think that an industry representative should talk shit about the industry in uh, He wasn't know, talking shit, Susan. Article. He wasn't talking shit. He was making a very valid point that all these what, well-wishers what? of trying to, trying to encompass this large overhaul, overhaul package isn't realistic. You need to pass the it, He is talking shit. Get some small victories, and then we can have a big win. What, I mean, what about offering a solution instead of saying the, it's the industry's fault? And then, hey, let's be real. If you've been a legacy operator, I remember carrying huge amounts of cash across the street to the bank. It stinks like cannabis being alone in a dispenser with huge amounts of cash. I mean, you're always at a risk. So I understand it's more now than before, but it's still something that's part of the industry. I don't, I don't think the risk is more now than before, but what it is is you have more people that are carrying cash that aren't accustomed to carrying cash. Me, personally, I have no problem carrying cash. It doesn't really bother me. I've been doing it my whole entire life. But for a lot of these new people that are just employees of companies and have no street smarts or wit about them, it is a big deal to them. All right. Well, we've gone pretty long on this. I want to give Stephen the last word. Oh, well, I just wanted to mention that, uh, as Jason Bexo mentioned in uh, a previous article, I think about a couple weeks ago, Daddy. when the Jungle Boys got busted, hey, and they went in, hey, the cops, the cops were the crooks, hey, they went in hey, and took over the hey, overage of money that hey, they were not allowed to have hey, federally, hey, which is over anything over $10,000. Stephen, Stephen, that's not true. That's not true at all. They did not get busted. They went in there for a no, tax no. levy for funds yeah. that were previously owed to the state. Uh, okay, this is this is not it was but, not a bust. No one was arrested. Okay. No product was taken. They opened up right after. This is not a bust. This is not a fucking raid. Oh, no, no, it's no, no, called no, a tax no, no, levy. No. Yeah, I know. It just allows everybody to. It allows even the cops to walk in and take your cash from you. Is what I was. Is more to the point that I was getting. Is that when you have that much cash on you, they don't just go to your bank account. They don't write you a letter. They go into your business, take your cash, and walk out. No, they go that into your the business way. because we don't have bank accounts that they can just yeah, go and levy. I get that's, it. That's I right. Get it. Yeah. Yeah. Because we don't have safe banking. Where, where, Jason Beck is amped up today it's fucking friday and it's show number 269 so get live 269 (laughs) baby thank you guys let's let's keep smoking i love i love the friday dope dad vibes too my brother (laughs) real talk let's keep smoking the news (laughs) let's all right so he saw an industry full of folks both sides of the aisle seeming to aim lower and lower that's when this dope dad decided he'd had enough and he was hitting the high road. Based in Austin, Texas, the host and co-creator of the new show with Sensi Mag is coming to the stage next. Stone Slade, what you got for us, my man? Good morning, good afternoon, everyone. Thank you, Rico. Today, my story comes from Todd Bookman at New Hampshire Public Radio. The lawmakers in New Hampshire had an opportunity yesterday to take a step closer to legalizing adult use cannabis but instead listen to prohibitionists beat the same dead horse talking points like concerns over public safety and the possible impact of legal, that legalization will have on minors. Under House Bill 629, adults 21 and older would have been permitted to possess up to three quarters of an ounce of cannabis, as well as edibles and tinctures. 
Nothing in the bill established retail sale of, of cannabis, but adults would have been permitted to grow up to six adult plants. Now, while the bill gathered broad support in New Hampshire House, where it passed on a vote of 241 to 113 earlier this year, just like at the national level, it ran into familiar opposition in the Senate, which has never passed cannabis legalization in New Hampshire. Republican Senator Bob Guida told colleagues during an hour-long debate, this is not a harmless substance, and legalization, uh, legalizing this does no good for any segment of our population. Now, even though actual statistics show the opposite in every legalized state, Guida and other opponents cautioned that recreational adult-use cannabis legalization could lead to higher rates of use by minors, as well as more impaired drivers on the road. Supporters of recreational adult-use cannabis noted that there is broad public support for legalization in the state and that the bill was an important step towards racial equity, pointing to studies that showed Black people are more likely to be arrested for cannabis, despite both white and Black people consuming the plant at similar rates. Democratic Senator Becky Whitley said, New Hampshire has become an island in New England with our overly burdensome regulations of cannabis that are out of sync with what the scientific health and social data says, and most importantly, with what the New Hampshire voters want. Earlier Thursday, the Senate also voted down House Bill 1598, which would have given government-run liquor stores a monopoly to sell cannabis. I'd say that's probably a good move. Uh, with cannabis now legally sold in Massachusetts and Maine, and later this year in Vermont, New Hampshire adults are able to cross into neighboring states to legally purchase cannabis, but will face a $100 fine if uh, caught possessing small amounts in New Hampshire. I think it's sad these prohibitionist politicians continue to ignore the facts about cannabis and the desires of the people they serve, um, keep using the same tired bullshit argument, what about the kids, implying that legalizing cannabis could somehow lead to higher, higher use rates by minors is beyond ridiculous. I think we all know that a properly regulated cannabis market does just the opposite of that. The only thing here that's leading to higher use rates by minors are ignorant politicians like Senator Bob Guida that instead of normalizing cannabis, continue to push out the scare propaganda that created the negative stigma and taboo surrounding the plant that quite frankly makes it more appealing to minors. I think uh, also without a regulated market, you'll just continue to support the illicit one that doesn't care how old you are. I'm Stone Slade reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. I wasn't exactly sure where New Hampshire was, so I looked at it on a map and it looks like a Looks like a pointing, a pointed hand with a little finger kind of poking into Canada right there around Montreal. It's next to Vermont and yes. next to Maine, which is that. near New York. It's right. the tip of the Northeast. It's just the tip. Not to mention New Hampshire, one of my favorite states because it is one of the only states in the nation that tells all of its jurors about jury nullification prior to Whoa. trial. Whoa. That's a reason to move there. I'm going. Wow. I'm going right now. That, I'm packing. I, I got to go. I'm packing. Big, big shout out to Nashua out there. I used to do work up there. <laughs> yeah, my people. The thing is, but, um, yeah, this is sorry, Rico. No go, no, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm just saying the Northeast is like a, a unique place. Like I went to college in Maine and lived there for a long time. They grow a lot of cannabis up there. It's really challenging with the mold, but they had like a $100 uh, fine for like an ounce of cannabis uh, previously. And New Hampshire is really big on like that live free or die thing, like no taxes and stuff. So they're definitely kind of like their unique, like individual states to understand a little of that culture. I think, Christopher, uh, New Hampshire would be far too conservative for you. I grew up in Connecticut, Jason. I think I got you beat. Connecticut's Are they going to take away the cannabis taxes? Because they, they have, like, live free or die. There's no taxes. Connecticut's full of uh, limousine liberals, Jason. Exactly. Those, those elitist libs.
Yeah, that would be me. <laughs> if that's how you identify, I mean. <laughs> uh, Stone, is this where you thought your story was going to go? Didn't see it going here, but I'm enjoying the ride. <laughs> this is why you hit the high this, road. This is the high road, <laughs> that's Stone. Right. This is the high road, my friend. It's episode 269. What can we say? We're going to go ahead and quickly relight this bitch. You are tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. The thoughts and opinions expressed in the State of Cannabis News Hour are those of the individual speakers and not those of any other speaker, the State of Cannabis, or its members. The statements made in the State of Cannabis News Hour do not constitute legal or accounting advice, and the State of Cannabis and the speakers make no representation regarding the legal status of any substance in any country, area, or territory, or of any authorities. The views expressed in this room do not establish any fiduciary relationship. The sponsorships of the State of Cannabis News Hour do not imply or constitute any endorsement by the State of Cannabis or the expression of any opinion whatsoever on the part of the State of Cannabis or any speaker. Viewer discretion advised. Robo Rico, let's keep smoking the news. All right, coming up to the stage next, she's an attorney at law focused on bridging the gap between cannabis, entertainment, and that's right, you guessed it, psychedelics. Coming to the stage next is the founder of Cannabis Blog and Podcast, Shall We Toke? It's Shalina Panu. What do you have for us this morning? Thanks so much, Jason. Good morning, everyone. My name is Shalina, and my headline for today is Famous consumer packaged goods companies demand Congress stop cannabis infringers from using their trademarks. In a letter, which you can click here to view, that was sent to Congress this past Wednesday, April 27th, by companies behind Oreos, Tricks, Cheetos, and more, asked members of Congress to make an amendment to the Shop Safe Act, which they deemed as critical. As stated by judiciary.house.gov, the Shop Safe Act stands for stopping harmful offers on platforms by screening against fakes in e-commerce. The following is quoted directly from the letter to Congress. The problem is copycat THC edible products create risk for children and must be stopped. Children are increasingly threatened by the unscrupulous use of famous brand logos, characters, trademarks, and trade dress on THC-laced edible products. While cannabis and incidental amounts of THC may be legal in some states, the use of these famous marks clearly without approval of the brand owners on food products has created serious health and safety risks for consumers, particularly children who cannot tell the difference between these brands' true products and copycat THC products that, that leverage the brand's fame for profit. While law, I'm sorry, while law enforcement focuses on addressing illegal sales, this unscrupulous practice has pointed out a gap in existing law the widespread online sale of packaging that leverages these famous brands. They provide pictures of the infringed products and state, these are real examples of packaging that infringe on famous brands that have been removed from the market. But without congressional action, they are quickly replaced by other unscrupulous sellers. Below the pictures, they provide several news headlines regarding, I'm sorry, reading marijuana edibles disguised as popular candy, snacks popping up in Florida schools. Another one read toddler hospitalized after eating marijuana laced snacks. Another one said, state attorneys general warn of cannabis edibles that look like snacks and candy ahead of Halloween. They then state to, a, then th they then state, to address these concerns, we propose a simple change to the Shop Safe Act. Current language creates liability for electronic commerce platforms for advertising, sale, or distribution of goods with counterfeit Mars that implicates health and safety. Unfortunately, this language does not prohibit sale of the above packaging and products due to the technical definition of counterfeit marks. This should be amended to include famous marks, a term 
already defined in U.S. code to extend this protection and deter the sale of these copycat THC items, which clearly implicate the health and safety for children. They further state that this change is critical because it closes a loophole in the existing language to address a critical health and safety issue. The associations behind this letter are the following. Consumer Brands Association, American Bakers Association, National Confectioners Association, Policy Center for Public Health and Safety, Digital Citizens Alliance, General Mills, uh, Mondelez uh, International, PepsiCo, Post Consumer Brands, Kellogg, uh, SNAC International, American Herbal Products Association, the Corner Finder Association, the Association for Dressing and Sauces, and the Juice Production Association. My take on this is that they are using the children as an excuse to make Congress act through legislation because these companies are having too much difficulty trying to catch every single one of these trademark infringers. As they clearly state in the letter that once they get these items off the market, another seller pops up and replaces that item, making it far too burdensome for these companies. What's your take on these companies pressing Congress to act? My name is Shalina and I'm reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. Thanks for sharing this one, Shalina. Uh, this is obviously uh a very hot button topic. And while, you know, I think it's uh, nice for these companies to plead that they need Congress's help, uh, they can all afford the cost of policing their brand and they can all deduct the cost of policing their brand from their bottom line on their taxes where cannabis businesses cannot and cannabis businesses still can't protect or have difficulty protecting their brand identity at the federal level. The solution to this problem is allowing cannabis brands to register their brand identity at the federal level, not crying afoul when people are trading on popular brand names. People trade on popular brand names in every industry. There's counterfeit problems in every industry and Congress is not gonna be able to stop this. Congress needs to just allow the cannabis industry to have rights to protect themselves and their own brands so that people that make real cannabis products can protect their products and the people who are trapping uh, ultimately get caught up in legal enforcement, whether it's coming from the law or the government or these brands that can afford to enforce against infringers. Well, uh, Brandon, I think I think one big big other point of this is it is a big pipe dream for these uh, candy and cereal makers to think that Congress is going to enforce anything because the reality of it is the people that are infringing on their copyrights are all trappers who don't even create entities in the first place that are just out there in the free market, just out there to make a buck. So how are you? How are these companies even going to find who's responsible for producing these products in the first place? They're not. Brandon okay. just offered an amazing solution. All right, we just let's push out that message. Yay, Brandon! What are you going to run for? Let's uh, let's get you in office somewhere. IPs are okay. You are our IPs are absolutely Susan. That's not that's not a solution because the people that are doing that are that are copycatting these brands are all trap brands that aren't registering or aren't aren't licensed in the regulatory framework in the first place. But if they could register their own brands, they might come into the regular market if they were allowed to build not. their brand. You know they're not going to do that, bro. Deduct the cost of collecting it. They don't and give deduct a the fuck cost of policing it. That. They don't care about none of that, bro. These trap brands. They don't. They're not interested in being into the regulated market because they make too much money in the unregulated market. Yeah, which is why you guys, I think we have to. This has to be a consumer-facing thing too. Consumers should know that if it looks like if it looks like it's an like yeah, consumers have to help us help themselves and look to buy regulated markets not only because they're safer and they're better tested, but because of some of this copyright infringement and just supporting the nefarious entities that will only do damage to safe access.
100% Guy. Nick, did you want to weigh in? You've got the last word. Yeah, Jason, I just want to contradict what you're saying there. There are definitely legal brands. I'm not going to name them, but there are definitely legal brands stealing IP of candy makers and and other very uh, people that focus on selling to children. And it should stop because it makes all of us look really bad. Uh, yes, I'm, I'm going to push back and say that's a little bit of fake news right there, Nick, because I don't believe that they're licensed. I will text you the pictures currently. I'm not going to call them out online. Fair enough. If Jason is running for president, we'll on this, is this a, is this a <laughs> presidential debate we're having here? This is good. First of all, any debate I'm ever having, Christopher, is always a presidential debate. Oh, my goodness. Do you always recognize debate when you see it? Do the candidates all have to have private planes? I mean, they do actually all have to have brains. They do actually all have to have brains. They have to pass that mental stability test that the current one can't pass. Dr. Ronnie Jackson, the greatest doctor of all time. Donald Trump is the most fit man on earth. So let's keep moving. <laughs> oh yeah! You know, he passed his test with flying colors. He got thirty out of thirty. <gasps> somebody's, somebody's messing around with the my pillow guy. <laughs> to everyday humans, he's a communication strategist and publisher of the American Cannabis Report. But the Clark Kent vibes in this man are strong. With sober thoughts being his only known kryptonite, you best believe our next correspondent is ready to deliver a story that'll get you higher than any bird or plane could ever be. Christopher Smith, Superman of the Sesh. What's the news today, my man? Thank you, Rico. Good morning. Good morning, Susan and Jason. My story today is, of course, from MMAJunkie.com, which might basically be the first on the State of Cannabis News Hour. Liz Carmouche defeats Juliana Velasquez at Bellator 278. So I'm here. I'm sure that everyone here has a favorite female mixed martial arts fighter, right? Or used to, but now that Ronda Rousey has retired and Holly Holm has lost a few times, who do you love? Well, here's a new target for your pugilistic ardor, Liz Carmouche, a former Marine who has used CBD for years in recovery of this most brutal sport. Known as the Girl Rilla, Carmouche now trains with Team Hurricane Awesome out of San Diego. She's 36 years old. After 24 professional bouts, she finally is a world champion in the flyweight division. A few days ago, she defeated Juliana Velasquez with a fourth-round technical knockout at Bellator 278 for a big belt to call her own. For fight fans, there was some controversy that the fight was called too early and that Velasquez could have escaped in the end but the, and that the ref was bad. But I'll tell you what, watch the video. Carmusha was on top. She had both of Velasquez's arms pinned down like when you were a little kid. She was raining elbows onto her forehead. She was totally defenseless. The ref saved Velasquez some serious damage, and Carmusha is the champion. I interviewed Liz several years ago at a cannabis conference in New York, actually the conference that Gretchen now reps, in fact, uh, back when one of her sponsors was a company called Hemp Meds, a subsidiary of Medical Marijuana, Inc. And I can tell you, as a person, Liz Carmouche was great. She was generous with her time, an open book about anything I wanted to ask. So she's totally rock and roll and relatable at the same time, which is interesting since many people would consider her extreme in almost every way. She's the First openly gay professional MMA fighter, she's a Marine Corps veteran, she was a helicopter mechanic in Iraq. 
She used her GI Bill to jumpstart her training, and she uses CBD as an essential part of her training. Like I said, totally relatable. As a cannabis spokesperson, she's the real deal. She was in the vanguard of athletes who use CBD for recovery uh, several years ago. And as an athlete, as a person, I got to tell you, she's completely intimidating. She's a flyweight. She's 125 pounds. She's about five foot four. She's a tiny thing, but she's got solid muscle, bolder shoulders. She's very, very intense. The thing I found interesting about her, like many people who use cannabis medicinally, is that she started using it after studying the side effects of of pharma meds. She told me that there are basically three choices to manage pain in her in her business and in, in her practice, uh, pain and inflammation. There's opiates, which will eventually kill you, of course. She said you could take multiple 800 milligram ibuprofen multiple times a day, which will damage your bones, your teeth, your kidneys, and basically fuck you up really slowly. Or you can go with CBD, by which she means, of course, whole plant extract featuring CBD, not an isolate. And in fact, she even turned her mom on to CBD years ago. She told me that her mom had had two knee surgeries and was in constant level 10 pain. She was afraid of becoming addicted to pain meds, so Liz shared her CBD, and the pain went from 10 to 2. She could sleep through the night and has recovered from the surgery. So Liz Carmouche is a veteran CBD user, a cannabis advocate, a sharer with seniors in need, and now a champion. And I'm done speaking. Thanks for bringing that article, Chris. Um, I think, you know, thank you for calling out the whole plant. And, you know, I just want to make sure that we're clear. While CBD is awesome for inflammation, it's not often an acute pain manager, which kind of suggests that Ms. Carmucci is, uh, Ms. Carmucci is, well aware of the benefits of cannabis and using the right ratios she needs to manage her pain and inflammation. And so kudos to that. Yeah, big ups on this story, uh, Christopher. There's a there's a really good one. I love seeing like top tier athletes that are supporting the the plant, the whole plant, using it for uh, the medicinal value that it needs. And a big shout out to the Diaz brothers being um, uh, true pioneers of doing this and taking the risks um, early on that nobody else is willing to take. Support the plant, the whole plant, and nothing but the plant. So help me God. Sun Sunra, did you want to weigh in on this headline? Yeah, uh, greetings, everyone, and happy Friday. I'd like to also say about the pain um, management, um, from my experience in the 10 years of working with uh, animals and people, CBDs do affect people differently with pain, and THC does different things. So we can't really say isolate one from the other. We just have to manage and see which works better. That's from my experience. Thank you. Lots of trial and error. Um, let's keep smoking the news. Well, all right. Coming up next is to the stage is a true Renaissance woman known for bringing the data and not the drama. An educator, brand strategist, healthcare consultant, and founder of the Cannabis Business Council of Santa Barbara County. It's Liz Rogan. What do you have this morning for us, Liz? Liz. Sorry, I thought you could hear me. Hi, everyone. Happy Friday. Thanks for that intro, Jason, and thank you to everyone for joining us. My story today comes out of Kansas. We're at the Topeka County, uh, sorry, the Topeka Capital Journal by Tim Rencher. Sorry if I'm butchering your name, Tim. The headline reads, Topeka, Kansas Dispensary says flawed Kansas Attorney General's opinion led to its 420 raid. 
So remember that old childhood taunt, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me? Well, as we all know, words do have power to cause harm. And this story is an example of that. So last December, uh, Kansas Attorney General Derek Schmidt made a statement to the Kansas Bureau of Investigation, the KBI, regarding Delta 8 legality in the state. Schmidt stated in an opinion that he issued on December 2nd that, quote, Delta 8 products are legal, provided they're derived from hemp rather than the marijuana plant itself. So as long as the combined THC levels don't exceed 0.3%. He added that many popular products containing Delta 8, such as cigars, cigarettes, dips, and teas, are illegal under the state's Controlled Substances Act. So Guardian Recreational Cannabis Dispensary in Topeka says that statement led to a raid on their store in 420. Topeka Police Department and Shawnee County Sheriff's uh, conducted a joint raid and they seized products. So this was in the late morning on 420, so um, a big day for them. And the officers haven't revealed if they made any arrests and no criminal charges were filed yet. So uh, the dispensary sent a seven-page open letter to the Attorney General, which was published on its website. And they're saying that the 2018 Federal uh, Agricultural Improvement Acts and quote, any it says that any and all parts are therefore derived from industrial hemp and are hemp and are legal. Quote, so the state has zero authority to regulate Delta 8 products derived from hemp. They want Schmidt to hold a news conference to admit he was wrong in a press conference. Um, he was wrong and have a press conference. So John Milburn, who's a spokesperson for the attorney general's office, said, quote, the attorney general's legal opinion issued on December 2nd speaks for itself and we have no additional comment, end quote. He also says change can be made by advocacy to legislators. Want to note that Schmidt, who's a Republican, is running for governor against Democratic incumbent Governor Laura Kelly. Schmidt's words did prompt action. Um, Johnson County District Attorney Stephen Howe announced last month that stores in his jurisdiction had until March 20th to remove any newly illicit products from their shelves or face criminal prosecution. There was a House Bill uh, 2706A, which would have clarified this, but it didn't advance in the legislature this session. So I looked into this story a little deeper. There is some confusion, honestly. If you look at the name of the business, it's Guardian MMJ Recreational Cannabis Dispensary, which is a little confusing um, as the public, and I think a lot of the authorities are not quite sure on all of this. But the website says, quote, our products comply with the uh, federal drug, food, drug, sorry, the Federal Food, Drug and Cosmetics Act of 1938. And they also cite the Farm Bill. So they say that it's from Colorado organic hemp. It's not synthetic. But if you look further on their uh, first page, it says that they, the recreational cannabis dispensary, and they provide THC products, including bud edibles, nano shots, gummies, dank tanks, and moon rock. So I think it's a little bit confusing here for the people, I understand that the um, dispensary, it's its not really fair, but I do think they should be clear in their language um, because I think that's a little confusing. So I would love to hear what anyone has to say on this story. This is Liz Rogan reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. Interesting strategy to say that uh, the AG's statement stands on its own. What, what does that really mean? Um, it means the yeah. AG statement stands on its own. It's very self-explanatory. <laughs> I mean, stories stories like this they're going to pop up in in all states. They've they have already popped up in in all states with confusing language around these laws. Um, the only way to to fix this is to, to amplify the messaging around it. Make sure you call out these um, lawmakers and these people in power uh, that are doing things that are detrimental to access and safe access uh, for people to get their medicine. I didn't Amplify know AGs get them out of get them out of office. 
vote. I, I, I didn't know AGs were allowed to make l- new law. Newly elicited. Well, that's going to depend. That, that, that's that's going to depend on each different state's individual constitution. There's there's some states where the attorney generals, in some cases like this, have more power than the governor. Like Texas. Well, the thing, it was an opinion. You're so also, silly, Rico. <laughs> it was an opinion that he stated. So, and I do personally think that's not. I mean, that doesn't make sense. The whole statement itself is is like you know, it says one thing's okay, and then it's not in the same statement. So, and then also these businesses, you know, we've heard about in Texas and other places, are they going to be able to seek any legal or monetary uh, compensation for this? Or you guys think they're just SOL? I think they're totally SOL. And I yeah. totally get it because it's okay, Liz, until it's not okay. So I totally understand that statement. Remember, it's always okay until you get caught. Or until it affects uh, some of these lawmakers personally. That's it's, it's usually what pushes them one direction or the other um, is when somebody in their direct circle is affected negatively and could be helped by something as beautiful and magical as cannabis. So the moral of the story is don't get caught and vote carefully and consciously. Yeah. Yeah. Vote red down ticket, Liz. Get these red backed, assholes and blue-backed assholes uh, um, who are against the movement, get them out of office, vote them out, and make sure you're doing it with uh, fact and data-driven talking points. Rico, are you lobbying to remove Crips and Bloods from politics? I'm purple, man. (laughs) I invite all (laughs) above and below ground. Yeah, votes matter. If you uh, if you don't think they do, read the CNN article about John Hannity and uh, Mark Meadows. Their text messages. They're they're really pushing to get the votes out. So, huh? You got it. You have to vote. You have to vote. It's er- it's every American's duty to get out and make sure that they vote. And guess what? If you don't vote, then you don't have any right to fucking complain about fucking shit. All right, let's keep it moving. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> originally, a Mich- originally a Michigan man, our next correspondent is now based in Long Beach, one of the few places in Southern California the true power of his Midwestern beard vibes can be harnessed. He's also the CEO in, of Fruit Slabs and a cannabis and intellectual property attorney. Coming to the stage, it's Brandon Dorsky. What you got for us today, my man? Thanks for uh, having me today. Hold on, let me uh, pull up my notes here. Uh my headline comes from MJ Biz Daily. It's cannabis producer Canopy Growth cuts 8% of workforce, eyes 150 million more in savings. Canopy Growth terminated roughly 8% of their workforce on Tuesday as part of a campaign to curb losses and move towards profitability. Due to sluggish sales, they terminated 245 employees to better their bottom line, which will realize $150 million. Canadian dollars in savings over the next 12 to 18 months. The latest round means Canopy has laid off roughly 1,600 people since 2020, the inaugural year of their chief executive, David Klein. And since 2015, Canopy's net losses total approximately 3.2 billion Canadian dollars, or 2.5 billion American dollars. Klein said that, quote, to realize profitability and power growth, we are taking critical actions to further evolve Canopy growth into an agile organization with a clear focus on the areas where we have the greatest potential of success. 
These necessary changes are being implemented to ensure the size and scale of our operations reflect current market realities and will support the long-term sustainability of our company, end quote. The changes being implemented include reducing the cost of goods sold in the Canadian business by increasing efficiencies that lower per gram cultivation costs, implementing a more flexible manufacturing program that includes contract manufacturing and aligns administrative costs with short-term expectations, and reducing office expenses and third-party professional fees. Canopy acknowledged in their release on Tuesday that the company will be operating with a reduced headcount moving forward for the foreseeable future to hopefully increase this profitability. Chief Financial Officer Judy Hong said, achieving profitability in our Canadian business is critical to the success of our company and will ensure we can continue investing in our key strategic growth areas, including USTHC, to build significant long-term value. The company also announced there would be non-cash charges of 250 to 300 million Canadian dollars in the fourth quarter due to writing down of excess inventory. This is in addition to an expected 100 to 250 million and incurred impairment charges from impacts on the company's goodwill and assets. The financial struggles for the Canadian operator has led to Canopy being deleted from the S&P TSX 60 index. And the article forecasts that these moves will deliver a financial future much more vibrant than the quality of their cannabis. And just like Canopy's flowers, I'm certainly not buying it. This is Brandon Dorsky reporting for the State of Cannabis. Why do companies set themselves up when they choose their name? I mean, Canopy Growth, what if you don't grow? You're, you, you know, you just, the brand Perfect. Why would you name yourself Perfect? It, it, you can't be perfect. It's so I, dumb. I think it's just revealed <laughs> that they're more of a shower than a grower. Susan. Yeah, absolutely. They're more of a booth producer than a cultivator. Well, because it's worked for some companies, like look at Smartwater. So they're trying. So it's obviously not working. They didn't call it Smartest Water. Smartwater tastes her- terrible. Why does anyone even drink that shit? It leaves like a weird film. Shit, man. It leaves like a weird <laughs> film on my mouth. It's electrolyzed, bro. Boss uh, Water Brent- is the best, in case anybody's wondering. Boss for the win. Brandon, did you think your story was going to go here? We are on one today. For damn sure. Let's let's move on to Guy's story. All right, coming up next, this OG veteran and dope dads known and respected by peers as a steadfast defender of the culture. Always first to stand up for the rights of legacy operators. The co-founder and CEO of Papa and Barkley is coming to the stage next. Take this time to take a listen to the gospel of Guy Record. What do you have for us to this morning, Guy? Thank you, Jason. And good morning, Susan. Good morning, Rico. Good morning, team. Today, coming out of marijuana moment, my article reads: Top Schumer aide talks next steps for marijuana legalization and cannabis banking reform. A top staffer for Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer spoke on Thursday about the path forward for federal marijuana legalization bill and the prospects of passing incremental measures like cannabis banking reform in the interim. He said that finding the balance is the work we're currently undertaking on the Senate side. While a draft version of his boss's Cannabis Administration Opportunity Act, or CAOA, was unveiled last summer, Babin said the final legislation text will hopefully be filed uh, in the summer hopefully filed in the near future. So this article is pretty lengthy and it goes on and gives a bunch of quotes that the Senator said, it talks about a bunch of folks who are about this and everybody wants this to happen, but nothing's happening. The good news for our listeners is I actually met Mr. Reginald Babin when I was in DC 
And I didn't realize he was chief counsel for Chuck Schumer as I talked to him. He happens to be an African-American gentleman. And I hit him with the hard questions about what's it like to work with people that are portrayed by me, at least, to be traitors. What's it like? Why do things take so long? And this is also embodied in the article. I think we all need to understand that politicians, their first thing is to stay elected. Why? Because their feeling is if they are not elected, they cannot pass bills. So the constant baby steps and incessant compromises are born of not making any big moves that might make you unelectable, because if you are not elected, you're not effective. So even if Let's assume and give Chuck Schumer the benefit of the doubt that he knows what needs to be done, really wants it to be done. He is in an environment where you can only make baby steps and millions and millions of compromises a day. Mr. Babin really made me feel sympathy for how hard a politician's job is to weigh wanting to stand and scream truth from the rooftops, but also understanding that the echo chamber often cuts down the messenger and then you won't get reelected. Um, so. I'm not making excuses for politicians because I would never do that. I will just say that this is an interesting article. It was interesting that last year on 420, on the holiday, uh, they proposed a legislation that would be on Biden's desk by 420 this year that didn't happen. So again, lots of good quotes, lots of good intentions. Also mentions that like 75 Republican staffers voted against a bipartisan marijuana research bill. So there's still some party line stuff, but by and large, it does seem like Congress people want this to get done. They just can't get out of their own way and this fear-based fear echo chamber of wanting to stay elected. That's my report. Since we're short on time, I'm Guy Rocourt reporting for the cannabis, uh, State of Cannabis News Hour. Guy, do you think that uh, trying to figure out totally how to regulate the industry, that's not a baby step? Wouldn't decriminalization be a baby step? A hundred percent. But as we know, like, you know, decrim, deschedule, all those things are slippery slopes because if it gets if it gets rescheduled to two, we know that's not good. It has to be completely descheduled. Decriminalization in terms of feds just saying, hey, this is no longer federal crime. I'm not even versed, maybe Brandon or uh, uh, or Gretchen or Liz or, or uh, I mean, I'm sorry, Lara can talk about like the legalities of that part. But um, yeah, I, I, I do think that some small step would be great. The best small step they could do is pass safe banking. True. You can't take small steps when you got big feet, Jason. That's what you <laughs> tippy toe, Rico. Tippy-toeing our way into the weekend. We've reached the top of the hour. That was a great show. If you missed any of it, make sure to catch the replay or find us a few hours after the show anywhere you get your podcasts. And if you like the content, please subscribe and leave a review. A big thank you to all of the correspondents that comb through all of the headlines each day to bring us just what we need to know. A big thank you to Rico and Jason for co-producing the show and Liz Rogan, our pinup girl. Thank you, audience, for being our eyes and ears when there's news in your city, county, state, or country. Your addition to our show makes the State of Cannabis News Hour news you can trust. You've been tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where we collectively move policy forward in an inclusive and sustainable way. Start your morning on a high note and join us every weekday, 9 a.m. Pacific time for the State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. Bye. <laughs> so that one.
I see somebody's somebody's messing around with the my pillow guy. <laughs> Happy Friday, everybody. See you on Bye. Monday. Have a great weekend.